little, little story to you, a little joke to you. Uh, these two ladies, best buddies, they, they died and went to heaven. And uh, when they got to heaven, one of the angels met them inside the gates and said, you know, this is a wonderful place as you've ever thought it would be. But we do have one rule here. You see, there's ducks all over the place, and we just have a rule that you don't step on a duck. And the, one, the first lady said, well, why is that? And the angel said, well, because they make a horrible sound when you step on them. It's just really annoying, and we don't want anything annoying in heaven. So the two ladies spend some days in heaven, and they're going through, and one of them, first lady, steps on a duck. And the duck makes all these horrible noises that everybody said it would make. So in a few minutes, one of the angels comes over, and she's got the ugliest guy that has ever been uh, created with her. And she takes this ugly guy, and she handcuffs it to this first lady. And she says, uh, the angel says, for your, the punishment for stepping on a duck is you have to walk around with this ugly guy for the next few days or so. And the lady says, well, okay, I, I, I apologize. I'm sorry for stepping on the duck. So the second lady, she realizes how serious it was. She didn't want to be strapped to an, a really ugly guy like that. So she, she's very careful as she's walking through heaven and making sure she doesn't get on one of those ducks. And uh, one day she looks up and the angel's walking toward her with the most handsome man that there has ever been. And she thinks, wow, you know, I don't know what's going on here, but I think I'm going to like this. And the angel takes the handsome man and handcuffs him to the, to the second lady. And the lady looks at the guy and said, you know, I don't know what I did to deserve this. He said, I don't either. All I did was step on a duck. <laughs> Today I want to talk to you about heaven and not about ducks in heaven. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's a message that I, I've probably not preached enough over the years because uh, you know, we tend to focus on, on the here and now, but the truth of the matter is there is a hereafter. And that hereafter is very, very important. It, it's a place we're going to spend eternity as believers. And, and it does a couple of things when we talk about heaven. I think, one, it encourages us. We need to be encouraged. If there's ever been a time uh, in the world where people need encouragement, it's today. I think you would probably agree with that. And the second reason is heaven's kind of like a tether to our soul. Uh, we're tethered to heaven as believers, and when you're tethered to something and the storms come, you, you tend to stay on the right track. You can, you can pull yourself in. And, uh, you know, a lot of people go through life kind of like, uh, like the airplane pilot who lost all his instrumentation. He's flying at night, and he says, I don't know where we're going, but we're getting there really fast. <laughs> you know, that's the way a lot of people live life. They don't really know where they're going, but they're getting there pretty fast. But as believers, we don't have to live that way. As believers, we know that there is a, a place that we're going to that, that, that's going to be uh, unimaginable, unspeakable, which is what we're going to talk about today. Now, uh, Jesus told us to lift up our heads, uh, for redemption draweth nigh. And I think oftentimes we do need to look up. Now, I know there are people who say, well, if you spend all your time as a believer focusing on heaven, you're, you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Well, I tend to look at it the other way. I tend to think if we don't spend enough time thinking about heaven and thinking about just this world, that we become no heavenly good or no earthly good. So today I want to talk a little bit about what it is, what it's going to be like. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, Paul says this, beginning at verse number 1. Boasting is not necessary and it's not profitable, so I will move on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who was caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I, I don't know. Only God knows. I know this man, whether he was in the body or out of the body, that was caught up into paradise, and he heard inexpressible words which a man is not allowed to speak. 
Now, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church, if, if you remember, if you've studied 2 Corinthians, that, that's a little bit beleaguered. It's a church that's beaten down. They've been oppressed by the world. Uh, they've been attacked by Satan, and really they've regressed in their faith. Uh, they've kind of gone backwards. They're not growing. They're, they're, they're going back to the carnal lifestyle that they lived before uh, they ever met Jesus. So Paul is writing to him, and after some words of instruction, he begins to give them words of encouragement, and he, he talks about heaven. Now, I know that when we talk about heaven, skeptics come out of the crowd. There are those who say, well, uh, heaven was just a figment of the imagination. There are those who say that heaven, as Paul is writing about, is a symbolic hope of an early church. But the Bible very clearly teaches us that there is a literal and figure, a literal uh, physical place that we're going to as believers that is called heaven. Jesus himself talked about heaven 87 different times. There are 582 verses in the Bible that talk about heaven over 612 times. And for us to say that heaven is not a real place or it's a figurative place is to simply call Jesus a liar and the Bible inaccurate. All through the Bible, we get little glimpses of it. If you read the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one of them spends some time talking about heaven. Matter of fact, the Apostle John, who would later write the book of Revelations, wrote two of the most descriptive chapters in the whole Bible about this place called heaven. We know that when Stephen was stoned, the Bible teaches us that he looked up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father in heaven ready to receive him. By the way, I, I've never found anything in the Bible that would lead me to believe that it's any different for any believer who goes home to be with the Lord, that Jesus is there waiting on us. Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 13, he talks about the new heaven and the new earth. And then the apostle Paul here is writing to us. And he's writing to us words of encouragement to say, look, it is a real place. It is a, a, a marvelous place. He, he says, you know, it's fascinating when you read it. And I, I'm going to dig into the, the bones of it here in just a second. But it's fascinating when you read it. He says, I don't know if I was awake or I was asleep. I don't know if I was in my body or out of my body. And, and I've, I've been thinking about this this week. Oftentimes we just kind of shoot past that little, that little statement there, whether I was in the body or out of the body. Uh, we don't give a lot of time thinking about it, but... You know, it's very important that we understand what he means there. You see, when Jesus was on the cross, he told the thief that was dying beside him that repented, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, we know that Jesus was buried in a tomb, and we know that that thief was probably buried too. So Jesus was speaking in a spiritual sense then. So that there is a spiritual place where the believer goes when they die and leave this world, a spiritual place called heaven. But we also know that not only is it a spiritual place, it is also a physical place. Paul said, I don't know if I was in my body, I don't know if I was there in spirit, or if I was there physically. Listen, when we get to heaven, we know that there's going to be a physical place. When Jesus ascended from this earth, he physically left this world to go somewhere. And when we get to heaven, we are going to have a physical place to put our physical foot upon. So he says, you know, I'm not sure if I was in my body or if I was out of my body. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what was taking place, but I saw things that were just unimaginable, things that I couldn't put into words. But there are a few things that we can learn about heaven. I know people have a lot of questions. I've, I've had questions over the years. People come to me and say, well, Tony, when I get to heaven, what's it going to be like? Uh, what am I going to look like when I get to heaven? I started off talking about me 20 years ago. Am I, when I get to heaven, am I going to be a 30-year-old man or am I, am I going to be a middle-aged 51-year-old man? 
When I get to heaven, am I going to see all those babies who, who have died, crib deaths or, or, or other things like that, those horrible things we experience in life? They're, we know they're going to be in heaven. Are they going to be babies when we get there? Are they going to be adults when we get there? When we get there, are we still going to be married to our spouse? When I get there, is my mother-in-law going to love me? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> By the way, if you're watching, you're the sweetest mother-in-law in the world. <clears throat> More questions than I can answer. But there are some things I can't answer. Think about what Paul says here. Look in verse number two. He says, I was caught up into the third heaven. Now, sometimes when people read that, they, they tend to think that maybe there are three levels of heaven for believers. That maybe this first level of heaven are, are for those who give their life to Jesus, but they never really grow in their faith. You know, the believers I'm talking about, they, they get saved and then they just kind of go off on their own and you never really hear much from them again. They, they don't come to church, they don't study their Bibles, they don't pray very often, uh, just kind of doesn't make a huge impact in, in the Christian life. And then there, maybe there's that second heaven to where, you know, you have those believers who, who uh, they do get saved, they, they do participate in their church, they, they say their prayers, they read their Bibles, they, they put a little money in the offering plate, they come to uh, Sunday school classes or life groups, they, they do all these things, and maybe they get to go to that second level. So you have that first level, people just there by the skin of their teeth, and then the second level is for those who are a little bit uh, more developed in their faith, they grow in their faith a little bit, and then that third level are for the Billy Grahams. I mean, they're just right there. Paul, Billy Graham, John, they're all going to be in that third heaven. That's not what he's saying at all, by the way. I want to make it very clear. That's not what he's talking about. There's not those kind of three levels of heaven. But if you got a pen and you want to write some of this down, let me explain to you what he's talking about. The Bible teaches us about three levels, no doubt. The first level is a terrestrial level of heaven. And what I mean by that can be found in the book of Psalm, chapter number 18, verse number 13, when it says, the Lord thundered in the heavens. How many of you guys saw the big storm last night? We were out in that storm. Man, it rained and the wind blew and a little bit of thunder and lightning, but you could see the clouds up there and the heavens moving around. That's that terrestrial heaven that the Bible teaches us about. Uh, Jeremiah put it this way. He was prophesying against the nation of Israel. And he said, I looked and there was no man. Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse number 25. He said, I looked and there was no man and the birds of the heavens were fled. So he's talking about this, this heaven's right above us here. That's, that's the first heaven. And then there's that second heaven that the psalmist talks about in chapter 8 and verse number 3 when he says, When I consider thy heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. So now he's not talking about a terrestrial heaven. He's talking about a celestial heaven, a place where the moon and the stars and the sun and all those things, the same heaven that the psalmist is talking about in 19 and 1 when he says the heavens declare the glory of God. So we have the first heaven, which is a terrestrial, the second one, which is a celestial, and then there's that third heaven. In the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 8, the prophet asks this. He says, but will, will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. And listen to the uh, prayer of your servants and to the people of Israel when they should pray toward this place and hear you in heaven your dwelling place. So now we have another heaven. We have the, the terrestrial heaven. We have the celestial heaven. But now the Bible tells us about that eternal heaven, the dwelling place of God, the place we were singing about this morning, that he is still on his throne at, that, that, that beautiful place of glory. You can think about it this way. The first heaven an airplane can carry you to. 
The second heaven, a rocket can carry you to. But the third heaven, only faith can carry you to. The first heaven you see by day, the second heaven you see by night. But the third, you can only see by Jesus. There's the three levels. So we know Paul says, I was taken up into the third heaven. So where was he carried? He was carried to the place, the throne of God. But notice what else he says there. Right before he he talks about the third heaven, he says, I was caught up. So where is heaven? Well, Paul tells us right there. He's very descriptive. He says, I was caught up. And then if you look at the end of it, he says, I was carried up into paradise. All right. so, So let's think about that for a second. He says, I was caught up. I was carried up into paradise. We know that the Bible teaches us that when Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives to heaven, he was caught up into the clouds. The Apostle Paul, when he talks about the rapture of the church, he says that the church is going to be caught up into the clouds. We're going to be caught up out of this world. So heaven must be up, right? Well, I know there are people who would say, well, you know what? That just teaches us about the, the flat earthers of the Bible. Uh, they, they think that the earth's flat because the truth of the matter is the earth is a globe and up can be different depending on where you are. You see here in Lindell, Georgia, to me, up's this way. But somebody who's pointing up in California, they're pointing in a little bit different direction, right? Maybe somebody down in Australia, when you tell them to point up, they're pointing, but it looks entirely different from the direction we're pointing. Somebody in China would be uh, pointing in the exact opposite direction. So... Is the Bible wrong? Is it incorrect when it says that heaven is up? Not at all. You see, there's a direction that is always up no matter where you are. If you look in Psalm chapter 8 and verse number 42, this is what the Bible says. Beautiful is the situation and the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. That's talking about heaven. Beautiful is the situation and the joy of the earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Pretty interesting, right? When the Bible talks about our blessings in Psalm chapter 75, verse number 6, it says this. Exaltation or blessings don't come from the east or the west or the south. All right, so the blessings of God don't come from the east or east for y'all out there. East, west, or south. So where do blessings from God come from? The north, right? So think about it for just a second. In Isaiah, the Bible gives us a, a great description on Satan falling from heaven. It tells us a great deal about what happened. And this is what it says. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the son of the morning, and how you are cut down to the ground. You who weaken the nations. For in your heart you have said, I will send to heaven, and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. So, folks, when we're talking about heaven being up, north is always up, isn't it? Whether you're in Lindell, Georgia, north is up. If you're in Australia, north is up. If you're in China, north is always up. So it doesn't matter where you stand. When you look to the north, you're looking toward heaven. Now, I know that um, there are some who say, well, heaven's in the south, isn't it? Not according to the Bible. I'm sorry. <laughs> it doesn't work that way at all. <laughs> Not at all. Our whole universe, our whole universe revolves around one star. There's one star that is always stable in the sky. And You probably know what that is. It's the North Star. God has given us an axis. He's given us a pivot point. So we we, we know where heaven is. We know that he's at the throne of God. He's in that third heaven. We know that it's up there. Uh, 
but what does it look like? Paul said in verse number four, he said, I saw things that were unimaginable, inexpressible, things that are unlawful to even talk about. So God says, Paul, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a vision of this place, but this is our secret. This is something that you can't even talk about. It, it's so amazing. Now, in the Bible, we're given glimpses of heaven all the time. If you go back to the Old Testament, there, there's stories like um, Jacob's ladder. Jacob saw the angels ascending and descending up and down the ladder from heaven to earth. Just a little glimpse of it. One of my favorite characters of the Old Testament is Enoch. The Bible talks about how that Enoch walked with God, and eventually he just walked his way right into heaven. Wouldn't that be great just to walk your way right in? It talks about the close proximity of it, how, how close heaven can be to us. In the book of Isaiah, we're told about Isaiah seeing the throne of God and the angels surrounding that throne. And you guys remember what they're singing? They're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's a holy place, just a glimpse of it. On the Mount of Transfiguration, we see Jesus standing there before the three disciples. And the Bible tells us about how that the glory of God that was on the inside of him came to the outside. And they were so astonished. He shone like the, the bright sun there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Just a little glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. I, I talked about Stephen seeing Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. About Peter seeing a new heaven and new earth. But the best picture we get of heaven is over in the book of Revelation, chapter number 21. The apostle I talked about, John, he, he sat down and he began to try to write some of the things that Jesus showed him. Now keep in mind, as John is writing this, he's trying to describe an infinite place with finite words. He's trying to put into a, a language things that, that are indescribable, things that no man can even talk about. But this is what he says. He, he talks about the size of heaven. Revelation 21 and 16. He says the city is laid out as a square. So just imagine a square. He said its length is as great as its breadth. Breadth. B-R-E-A-D-T-H. That's hard for me to say sometimes. And he measured the city with a reed and it was 12,000 furlongs. Its length, its breadth, and its height are equal. So heaven is a cube, a square cube. Now, if you want to do the math on that, 12,000 furlongs is about 1,500 miles. So he's saying heaven is 1,500 miles long and 1,500 miles wide and 1,500 miles tall, which if you do your math, that's 2,700,000,000 square or cubic miles, which means it's about 150 times larger than the surface of the earth. So here's, here's the thing. If you're not a people person, you're going to love heaven. I'm not sure you'll get there, but you're going to love heaven. I'm just kidding. You're going to get there. It doesn't matter if you're a people person or not. But you're going to have about 15 square miles all to yourself. If all 30 billion people who have ever lived, that's, that's what they tell me. I'm not sure how accurate that is. But they say 30 billion people have lived on the face of the earth from Adam to now. If all 30 billion people who have ever lived make it into heaven, then you would have 15 square miles to yourself. Pretty amazing when you think about it. But it's not only a big place, it's also a beautiful place. If you look on down in that chapter, Revelation 21, beginning at verse number 18, he talks about the, con the construction of its walls. It says that they are jasper, and the city is pure gold, and it's so pure that it looks like glass. Can you imagine what John's looking at here? And he's trying to put it into words. He, he's really struggling. He says there are 12 gates of 12 pearls. Each one of the gates is one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold. It's like transparent glass. There he is again. Uh, gold so pure it just looks like transparent glass. If you look in the verses in between what I read, he talks about the foundations being made of these beautiful jewels. So just try to picture this in your head. You're approaching and you see the foundation is just lit up with these beautiful jewels. And you look at these gates. Now the gates, he says, are one pearl each. 
the gates are not pearls strung together, but they are one gigantic pearl that makes up each gate. And the city's just shining like the sun because the gold is so pure and so beautiful. I'll tell you guys something. Here in this world, we worship our gold, don't we? Gold, it's a driving factor. It's what we, we celebrate as money. We worship gold and we walk on God in this world, but up in heaven, we're going to walk on gold and we're going to worship God. <laughs> it's going to be a magnificent place, a beautiful place. But not only that, not just the beauties of what is there, and, and I'm just moving very quickly just to kind of give you an overlook. Not just the beauties of what is there, but also the beauty of what's not there. In Revelation, same chapter 21, verse number 1, John says this. He says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth were passed away. And listen to what he says right here. And there was no more sea. To us, that doesn't mean a whole lot. No more sea. We like the ocean. We like the sea. But put it in John's perspective. Here's a man who has been exiled to the Isle of Patmos. He has been carried out there because he's been preaching the gospel of Jesus. They can't shut him up. Politically, they can't execute him. So they just take him out to this deserted island, the Isle of Patmos. And they put him out there by himself. A deserted, rugged island. There, John is separated from everybody he has ever loved. He's separated from the churches that he has pastored. He is out there all by himself. No one around to encourage him. No one there to, to pray with him, to pray for him. No one there to put their arm around him and say, John, it's going to be okay. And you know what separates him from all those things? The sea. And now he looks and God says, John, let me show you a place. A place where there is no more sea. That means there is a place where there is no more separation. All of us have lived long enough that we've experienced that separation, right? We've stood at the coffin of somebody we love very dearly, separated. We've sat down at Thanksgiving and Christmas and thought about how different it is because they're gone, separated. But ladies and gentlemen, heaven, <laughs> there's going to be no more separation. He said, I saw a new heaven and new earth, and there was no more sea. There is, there is coming a time of, of great separation. The Bible says, and God will wipe away all the tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, and no more sorrow, and no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have all passed away. I am looking forward to that day when God carries me to that place where there is no more death. Where there is no more crying. No more heartbreak, no more sorrows. The former things are all gone. They're just a memory. They're, they're something that happened in the past, but they're not ever going to happen again. <laughs> what a beautiful place. That's why the Bible tells us to rejoice. To rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Believer, if you need something to give you encouragement during this day, just look up to glory. Look up to heaven. Now, I know the fact of the matter is, is everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die to get there, right? When I was younger, I would say, I don't care if I go by the grave or the rapture. But as I get older, I, I prefer the rapture. <laughs> I'll be honest. But the truth of the matter is, is we do have something that we can tie our souls to. And we can say, you know what? No matter what happens in this world, I know this is temporal. That there is a, a beautiful place, a better place. The Bible says this, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God. Now, there are some people who pervert that verse. They say that that verse is intended to teach us that 
All believers should have everything that they ever want. They should have all the riches they ever want. If you just name it and claim it, you can blab it and grab it. And it's all yours. There's a Greek word for that kind of theology. Baloney. <laughs> That's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches us that we're not to lay up treasures here in this world, that our treasures are to be laid up in heaven. And you know why we do that? Because where, the man, where a person's treasure is, is where their heart will be also. When we lay up treasures in heaven, it just draws us closer and closer and closer to home. So here's the last thing I want to settle on. Is what's the focus of heaven, the purpose of heaven? Yesterday I thought about something. That happened a couple of months ago at my house. Um, are you guys cat lovers? I'm sorry. I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> I'm just not a cat person. Here's my, here's my theory. I believe dogs are believers. I mean, you pull into your driveway or go into your house, and your dog is going to come running, and it's going to act like it hasn't seen you. Whether you've been gone five minutes or five days, it's going to act like it hasn't seen you in eternity, and it's going to, it's going to be so happy. But you go into your house, and your cat's in there, and it'll look at you like, don't touch me. Right? <laughs> At least that's my life. But we've had this cat that just kind of wandered up a uh, couple, two months, three months ago. I don't know. But it's the most annoying animal you've ever seen in your life. It cries and cries and cries. And when it came up, now Angel's a cat lover. And my youngest son, Graham, he's a cat lover. Brady's kind of indifferent. He's, he plays the middle of the field. Depends on who he's with, if he loves cats or doesn't love cats. But, but she and Graham love cats. And one day, Graham and I are sitting out on the porch, and this cat comes up, and he starts petting it and rubbing it. It jumps up in his lap, and he's, he, he's just taking care of that cat. They've been feeding it. And he and I walk in the house eventually, and we leave the cat on the front porch. Well, that cat comes to the door, and it just cries and cries and cries. And meow, 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 meow. Uh, over and over and over again. And I, I tell Graham, I said, you know, that's amazing to me. This cat, that cat has never been in this house. It has no clue what's on this side of that door, but it wants in so bad. And this is what he says. And this didn't strike me to yesterday. He says, but it knows I'm in here. You see, I've never been into heaven. But I know who's on the other side of the door. And I can't wait to get there. You see... When I get to heaven, I, I want to see a lot of things. I, I want to go up to Moses, and I want to shake his hand because I believe he was probably one of the uh, strongest men who has ever lived. And I want to tell him how strong I believe he was. I, I want to go to John, who laid his head on the chest of Jesus at the Last Supper. I, 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 want, to, I want to talk to him about the great stories of love that he wrote. I want to go to Peter and tell him how much I can identify with him. <laughs> I want to talk to the Apostle Paul. And just glean some knowledge from him. I've got family members I want to see. My mom's over there. I can't wait to see her. But most of all, I want to see Jesus. I want to see the one who died for me. So how do I get there? How do I get to see Jesus? There's a story about this, these guys who died and went to heaven. One of them gets there and he hears a voice from behind the gate. The, get, the voice says, what's the secret to getting in? The first guy says, well, it's reputation. You see, I've worked all these years to build a great reputation. People know me to be uh, uh, an honorable guy, and my reputation is to get me in. And the voice says, I'm sorry. That's incorrect. Depart from me. I never knew you. Second guy gets there, and he says, what's the word to get into heaven? Second guy says, well, it's morality. You see, I, I've been a man of integrity my whole life. 
I've never cheated anybody out of anything. I didn't lie. I did everything I could to make things right in the world. And the boy says, I'm sorry, but that's incorrect. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Third guy gets there and the boy says, what's the key to getting into heaven? He says, religion. That's it, religion. You see, I went to church. I read my Bible. I said my prayers. I put money in the offering plate. I, I gave to the poor. My religion should get me into heaven. The voice said, I'm sorry, that's incorrect. Depart from me. I never knew you. Then the fourth guy gets to the gate. The voice says, what's the word to get in? What's the key? And this guy says, nothing in my hand do I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. The voice says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You see, what's the key to getting into heaven? To see all these beautiful things? It's simply Jesus. It's Jesus as your Savior. By faith, receiving him. And then we can all enter into the joy of the Lord. You know, my mom used to sing a song uh, years ago. And I don't guess I've heard anybody sing it since she passed. But it was a song about, it just simply said, while the ages roll. I'm going to keep on praising him. And my voice will never tire nor grow. And my song shall ever be praise the lamb who died for me. (laughs) And I'm going to sing it while the ages roll. I hope everyone in here has by faith received Jesus. If you by faith received him, I can make you this promise. Heaven is your eternal home. If you've not received him by faith, today can be the day that you do that. If you're you're watching us and you can't point to a time when you know for sure that Jesus was your Savior, I mean, that moment in life, just that one moment, you you don't have to name the specific day or the time of that day, but that time in your life where Jesus came into your heart and made a change, if you can't do that today, you need to do that. You need to just pray a simple prayer. Um, Come on up. Just pray a simple prayer. I mean, it's so easy. It's just simply, Jesus, I I realize I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. And Jesus, I realize that you are that Savior. And today, Father, I give my heart to you. Whether you're here, whether you're watching us, whatever. Everyone needs to know that heaven is their eternal home. It's a promise and it's a reality. And today, we can celebrate that, right? Church, I want to celebrate the fact. That when I leave this world, I'm going to be with my Lord and Savior in a place that is so beautiful that it can't even be put into words. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. If you've prayed that sinner's prayer, whether you're here or whether you're online, don't ask for any kind of sign. Don't ask for some kind of miracle to know that you're saved. Just by faith, believe that Christ saves you. And by faith that you're going to get into glory. Father, as we bow today, we thank you, Lord, so much for your word. We thank you, Father, for that word that encourages us and tethers us to you. Gives us a a direction to pull and a direction to move when the storms of life are raging. And, Father, we are looking forward to that day when we are gathered around the throne of God. And we just sing while the ages roll. Jesus, we love you. And we know that you love us with a love that's unimaginable knows no depths, no bounds. Father, I pray today for those who hopefully have prayed that sinner's prayer. 
that today you would give them courage to not be ashamed of their faith, but to tell others what Jesus has done for them and to uh, go public, be baptized, to proclaim the glory of the Lord. In Christ's name, amen.